his social life. It's the Darren Show. The Darren Show. Don't ask if he's single. You already know. Cause it's the Darren Show. A simple name for a simple guy with a simple face. It's the Darren Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Darren Show. I have a wonderful, wonderful guest this week. Uh, very, very excited to talk to this woman. Um, I have June Song with me, winner of Big Brother 4. Uh, June, how are you doing? How are you? I'm okay. It's like a little, you know, it's in the evening here with the time difference, but I'm holding strong. Yes. Uh, you just, uh, you put your, uh, your son to bed? I put my son to bed and I put his sleepover buddy to bed and it was our first sleepover and Noah fell asleep before his friend did. So right now I'm dealing with like a kid that won't fall asleep and it's not my kid. So I can't really like threaten too much, but um, I'm hoping, you know, they're both asleep now so I can do this with you. Uh, yes, uh, I always had the the opposite problem when I was a child. I I uh, or no no I guess it was the same problem uh, that if I was at a friend's house I'd always be awake. I was really? and then I'd wake up early works? too. Okay. The thing is, my mom, my parents never let me have sleepovers. Like I was like not a normal child, so I don't even know like if this kid is normal or not. But <laughs> Noah totally passed out. And he was like. <sighs> snoring and i'm like oh my god really you're supposed to be up and entertaining your friend and fall asleep together like i can't do this <laughs> well why weren't you a normal child um nothing about me was normal like from the beginning i feel like my whole life has been just a life of like one extreme to the next and lows and highs and so my parents never let me have sleepovers or like really play outside they were super protective so i was just kind of like nerdy and like lost myself in books which is now why i love like you know writing and you know i'm a, I'm a writer it's like my third career in life and it's why i read so much with no one we're constantly at the library like books books are my life what were your would, what like what were your parents protecting you from like just like that they did do did they not want you to have friends or, or or what was it well i guess um we'll get into it it's because i was um sexually abused when i was very young um and I guess they didn't know how to cope with it very well. And so their idea of coping was to kind of never talk about it. It never happened. I was constantly kept at home, like in this bubble. I wasn't allowed to like play outside in the parks like all the other kids. I wasn't allowed to have sleepovers. Um, it was like super, super, super overprotective. And that was their way of dealing with it. And that. They didn't really have the tools to know that maybe, you know, they should talk to me about it and they should kind of let me have some freedom um, to feel safe on my own. Um, so that was really the reason that I didn't have, you know, the status quo normal childhood. And it's also why I never learned to ride a bicycle because my parents were like, you don't need to ride a bicycle. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to go outside. <laughs> um, and at the time I didn't think it was so 
weird but now as an adult and as a parent myself i'm like oh my god i lost out on a lot like we went on a lot of family trips we went on vacations um constantly but it was always just our family I wasn't really allowed very much to you know step outside of that is that is the the sexual assault is that something that you've talked about a lot in in your life it is um I don't like talk about it too much because not everyone is comfortable with Mm -hmm. it and also I don't want to be like the girl who was sexually abused and that's like, you know, you know, something that I beat people over the head with. But when people ask, I am very honest because I don't think it's something that should um, carry some huge stigma and it's, it shouldn't be taboo, even though it still is. Um, so it is something that I am public about. And if I see something in the news or if something is, you know, out there, um, I will comment and I will share. There are some blogs that I've written where I'm pretty open about it, but I've noticed that people are really uncomfortable with the subject matter. And, you know, I can't blame them because we, we live in a society where we know, you know, sexual abuse and sexual assault, child abuse, it happens. And we're all like, oh my God, you know, it shouldn't happen and we have to stop it. But we're actually all pretty uncomfortable with the topic. And it's, it saddens me. I mean, I don't think it's something that needs to be, you know, out in the open and in your face constantly. But I do know, and I have noticed that when I do um, share and open up about that, you know, event in my life, a lot of people tend to recoil um, and just kind of like shut down on me. I've noticed that. And that's people in my, you know, personal life and fans online. Um, it's it's actually like kind of fascinating. Yeah. Like, like they don't know how to like handle the conversation. So they just prefer yeah. to like move yeah. on. Yeah. So was it, um, was it something that, uh, was it like a a stranger that, that like, uh, and that's why your family was, um, trying to protect you by keeping you like in the, in their, in their view? The thing is, the ironic thing is it was, um, a neighbor in the building we lived in and we continued to live in that building. So it was kind of stupid <laughs> of with, them. With, the, with that person there. The person still lived in that building. Um, and I think they still live in that building now, um, that my mom still lives in. <laughs> so it was, it was just really weird because at the time, um, he was technically a minor. He was only 17 and I was seven and I was seven. And so he went to juvenile hall instead of going to jail. Um, and when he was 18, he was released and we weren't notified. Um, or at least I wasn't, maybe my parents were, but they never told me. And so a year later, um, I ran into him again in the same building that we all lived in. Um, and I was just kind of shocked and frozen. And I thought, you know, everyone promised me I would never see him again and he would be put away. And there he was in front of me. And at the time he, um, saw me and he told me 
okay, now I'm back and I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill your brother and I'm going to kill your father and I'm going to kill your mother. And it was just, I think that was more traumatizing to me than the actual sexual assault that had happened the year before because I had been kept in this bubble for a year and I'd just forgotten about him because, um, yeah, I don't know if I was medicated. I do remember to some degree, um, getting injections of some kind, maybe to calm me, um, that first year. But honestly, I think I've blocked it out so much that seeing him again a year later and having um, that terror of, oh my God, uh, that's the guy who raped me a year before and he's here. It was kind of like the boogeyman come to life. And I think that traumatized me more. And dealing with the stigma in the Korean community um, was even harder than anything else, I think, because I was not allowed to talk about it. I was not allowed to seek therapy for it. It was just kind of like, you know, swept under the rug. Um, and my family just chose to pretend like it never happened. And so I dealt with that my whole life, just kind of like suppressing it. And so I had recurring nightmares. I, you know, turned to food for comfort. Um, and I got really fat, um, through grade school. Um, and just, it was, it was a lot to handle. And I think now as an adult, as a parent, it's just, I'm really realizing a lot of things, um, all at once. So this year in particular has been really hard, obviously, because I don't know if you know that I'm separated now from my husband for about a year and a few months, still awaiting our divorce to be final. And during this year and a half, I've really struggled with who am I, you know, and where am I going? <laughs> where am I going to end up? Um, so I've done a lot of growing in this last year and a half. And I've realized a lot of my persona the last few years of being like super snarky and mean. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with the pain, I guess I was dealing with both, mm. you know, from my childhood and from my marriage falling apart. Because we all know, let's say a bully is a bully because of shit that happened to them and it sucked them up in the head. And so they take it out on other people. Um, and I think a part of me was doing the same thing, um, but disguising it as snark and, and wit. And, you know, a few years later now, I'm just kind of like, wow, I was really really mean to some people and I've actually reached out to some of them um, and emailed them just to say like listen I'm going through some shit and I was going through some shit for a while I don't expect you to you know write me back and say everything's going to be okay kumbaya but I'm just apologizing and you know I'm going to just try to be a little more careful and thoughtful 
And I think I have been overall. I've gone through some transformation over the last year and a half. Um, that's pretty authentic and sincere. And I have not heard back from any of those people. Um, I emailed and that's okay. You know, I've made my peace with it. Um, it was people that I was particularly really obnoxious to. Um, and I'm not going to like, you know, put them on blast or like yeah. reveal who they were, but I have kind of made peace with shit and hopefully, you know, my future is a little bit <laughs> brighter and lighter. <laughs> That's that's good. That's good to hear. I mean, um, it sounds like, like man, like that. That it's certainly you've been through a lot. Um, and you know that that story about seeing seeing the guy in the in the 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 place that you lived. Like, oh, my, I can't even imagine because, like, you know, it's it's one thing, I guess, to to have the trauma and then spend a year trying to recover or, mm -hmm. you know, just like adjust or whatever. But then, uh, do I, I, was it almost like seeing him in that way is just so shocking. Like, it's almost like it happened again and it kind of like, it, it must almost shake your, um, your belief in the process that you can get better because it's like, oh, well, this is still here. This, this right. can still just like happen to me out of nowhere. Right. And adults, like my trust in, people's words just mm -hmm. kind of like got crushed because I was like, they promised me that I would never feel this kind of terror again. Um, and, you know, he told me, if you tell anyone, I won't just cut your, I won't just kill your brother, but I will cut him up into pieces. And so I got home that day and I was like, just, really quiet and my my parents were like well, what's the matter and I was like nothing <laughs> you know and they're like no something's the matter and I was like no nothing is the matter and they're like did something happen I'm like no and it took like a few hours and then I finally broke down I mean I was eight years old Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't tell you because he's gonna kill you and he's gonna cut you know, Chunyang up my brother like into a hundred pieces and they were like who the fuck are you talking about and I was like he's back you know he, I saw him you know and you know I shouted his name and I like fucking freaked out and so you know the police were called again and he got hauled away I heard he actually went to jail for doing that mm. but at that point none of the, no, nothing was coming in my ears. Nothing was filtering through because I was like, you're all fucking lying to me again anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I didn't see him for a very long time. I did see his mom and his little brother constantly. And so it was a reminder for me. Um, and everyone in the building knew that he had been, you know, beating up his mom for years apparently he and his little brother and his mom um she was a single mom because their dad had beat her up and it was like a domestic abuse situation and so the dad went to jail and so the eldest son picked up on that and so he started beating on his mom um and so the whole home situation was terrible and so the fact that he chose to take it out on me 
now as a almost 43 year old woman, the mom in me, you know, my heart breaks for him too. And I've reached a point where I have forgiven him, but I don't know what would happen if someone did something like that to Noah, you know? Mm. So I have so much respect for my dad too, for keeping it together for so long and not going after him and killing the guy and, and ending up in jail himself. My mom is another story. She didn't deal with it very well. And she kind of went in her own tailspin of like uh, issues stemming from that. Um, and so I had like this really tough relationship with her my whole life because I always felt like she was ashamed of me and what had happened because in the Korean community, there are so many unwritten rules. You know, you have to be like this and like this and like this. Then you will marry into a good Korean family and be the pride and joy of your own family and make everyone proud. And so the fact that I was sexually abused actually tarnished my invisible record to ever marry into a good Korean family, let's say. Even if we had kept it a secret just amongst ourselves, it was like a, a, an X a scarlet X on my chest that I felt, I felt like I had to wear my whole life. And so the idea of marrying into a Korean family to me became like, ill. I don't want that anyway. Um, which is why I think my real one and only relationship with a Korean guy, which was with G mm -hmm. <laughs> who was on big brother with me. Yeah. I, after dating him for a while, I thought, I don't think I want to be a part of this Korean community that is so stigmatized and so hard on anyone that doesn't fit that perfect cookie cutter Korean image. And so after G, I was like, no more Korean for me kind of thing. And it's just kind of, it's stuck. But that's not to say right now I'm not proud to be a Korean, but for a very, very, very long time, I hated being Korean and the whole, I had a whole identity crisis and I realized now it wasn't all my fault. God damn, this is some deep shit, Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, it's what, it's what we're here for. All right, um, then. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so what, was it like a, was it a big community that you grew up in? Did you, did, was it, um, was part of your mom's sort of reaction to it, that shame? Like, did that rub off on you too, as, as part of that community? Well, the thing is I grew up in Manhattan and back in the seventies, eighties, there were no Koreans in Manhattan. They were all in Queens. They were all in New Jersey. Um, and so, I was surrounded by like Dominican people. Um, there was a black community, but it was mostly a Hispanic community on the Lower East Side. I mean, it still kind of is. Um, and so my Korean community was all from church because we were a huge church family. And we had always been, but after my sexual abuse, it got even like deeper um, to the 
point that, yeah, my dad was actually um, a deacon in the church. We went to a Korean Methodist church. Um, I ended up teaching Sunday school for five, six years. I played the, the piano at church. I was um, the, the youth group president. I mean, I was a big believer, you know, I was born again, but actually none of it felt real. I felt like I was just going through the motions to constantly prove that, hey, look, um, you know, even though I have this, you know, bad track record, I'm still a decent Korean, like, look, 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 I can, you can marry me, um, you know? I mean, it, it's really kind of sick if I think about it, just how brainwashed I became into wanting to be this perfect Korean girl when there is no fucking such thing. There is no such thing as perfection anywho. But the Korean community was really like tough to grow up in. Like you had to have like, you know, almost a perfect GPA. Your SAT scores had to be in the 1500s. Otherwise, oh my God, they're like special. You know, it was just like really a lot of pressure. I don't know how much things have changed now. I don't want to know, but I don't think they've changed very much. The the bars are set really high in Korean families as far as like education and obedience and whatnot um and that's why i'm like always raising noah to be so independent and so mm. forward thinking and make your own decisions you don't have to listen um to what i tell you you have to do obviously you have to behave but you know you can choose what you want you know at all times and it's just this idea of praise and love and affection um and i didn't really get much of that growing up was it was it hard to uh, to go to your, did did you go to your parents after the um, the assault happened or, or like how did they find out? Um, I after I told them, um, I never talked about it with them again because I knew that it had broken my dad's heart, mm. and so I didn't have the heart to ever bring it up to him. It was kind of like my way of saying you went through enough. I'm not going to put you through it again by talking about it with you. Um, and my mom, there was no way that I was ever going to be able to talk about it with her. When I became an adult, I never mentioned that abuse to my mom. I never mentioned it to my dad, even on his deathbed. Like we never talked about it ever again. With my mom, I mentioned it to her. I brought it up to her um, after I got married to my soon-to-be ex-husband, Dini. I told her um, that I had told him that I was sexually abused, and she was very upset. She was like, why would you tell your husband that? And I said, because he's my husband. Um and she was like, no, men don't want to know that. I mean, so she's still totally mm -hmm. like Korean back in the day, old school mentality. And I was like, are you fucking for real? I'm like, I'm not ashamed of it. I said, why, why can't I talk about it? And she's like, no, you don't talk about that. And we don't want people to know. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to talk to you about it. 
but you know i'm not going to keep it taboo for all the other little girls out there and all the other mm. women out there who have been through something like this like we don't deserve to be shut up and like hidden you know yeah so i imagine that you uh that's another thing that you want to encourage with uh with noah that like he can talk to you about about anything anything um and the interesting thing is <laughs> You know, we're doing the co-parenting thing now. And so he, um, you know, he just turned six. He's starting to ask for privacy here and there. And he's very much aware of what a penis is and what breasts are and what a vagina is. And, you know, he came from mama's vagina. And, um, and his dad has been dating someone now for a few months. And... Um, you know, Noah came back from his dad's to me and I was like, okay, I was like, when's the last time you took a shower? So mama knows if you need to bathe now or if we can do it tomorrow. And he was like, oh, I took a bath yesterday with, you know, dad's girlfriend. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But she gave you a bath. And he was like, yeah, we were both in the bath naked. And I said, okay, that's, that's fun for you. You like having like a playmate in the bath um but you know you're six now so i think next time i'm gonna ask that she either wear a bathing suit or you know maybe she just play with you but standing outside the bath what do you think and he was like i don't care i'm just happy to have company while i'm in the bath and i said okay that's what i thought so i actually you know messaged his dad and was like i first of all I'm really happy that your girlfriend and Noah are bonding. I sincerely, truly mean that because it could be worse. However, I ask that she maybe put a bathing suit or a bikini on if she's going to get in the bath with Noah because he's six and your girlfriend is 22. <clears throat> and I really don't think it's appropriate, especially because she didn't push him out of her vagina. And so, you know, my ex was like, okay, I'll talk to her about it. It seemed like he wasn't even aware. Um, and I try not to be so super uber sensitive, like paranoid about these kind of things. But, you know, I'm just happy that Noah talks to me and he tells me stuff. And I'm always very open with him and I will answer all his questions as truthfully as possible, as long as I think he can handle the information. And so I'm just really glad that he talks to me and he can talk to me and he continues to talk to, talk to me. And so he came back from his dad's um, now a week later, <laughs> you know, I was like, Hey, so when's the last time you had a bath or a shower? Do we need to, do we need to put you in the shower now? And he's like, no, um, I had a shower with Papa. Um, and I didn't have a bath naked with his girlfriend this time. She took a shower and then I took a shower with Papa afterwards. And she told me that she forgot to bring her bathing suit. But next time when she brings it, she'll get in the bath with me again. And I said, okay, then like he's, super aware and he's like on top of shit like he is my son like mm. he's so me <laughs> <laughs> that's great I, and i think i think that's like that's exactly how you know i think you handle it re really well right like you know 
I, I, I can imagine how, yeah. like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> another parent may have, you know, flown off the handle or, uh, or, you know, reacted in a way that would have made, you know, it would have been like, what? No, yeah. no, And it would yeah. have made me feel like, oh, I can't, I can't say anything about right. this in the future because she gets you upset. Did something wrong or that exactly. you were going to cause a fight. Yeah. I'm constantly, I mean, you saw me on Big Brother. I'm very... I listen, I'm very thoughtful, I'm deliberate, I'm very calculating. Um, and it translates pretty well to like child rearing because you always have to have this like three second delay with kids because they pick up on everything and you know, shit you don't even want them to pick up on. You're like, fuck, you know, like they've already like, okay. <laughs> um, and it's too late. And so I'm always super careful, especially because I carried a lot of guilt for the first few months that I made, I made Noah, you know, the child of a broken home um, because I didn't grow up in, let's say a broken home. It's like a terrible terminology for it, but you know, Davey, um, Noah's dad actually is a product of divorced parents. And I just was like, I tried with all my might for that not to happen to Noah. And uh, the funny thing is my mom was also like, you can't divorce. Divorce is a stigma. And I'm like, lady, my whole life is anti-Korean. Like, you know, I got sexually abused. I left home before marriage, got my own apartment, worked went on a show called Big Brother, you know, married a Belgian and moved across the world. Like, what about me are you so scared of anymore? You know, like, you have to just accept me for who I am. And she does. She does have her days where she's like, I am so proud of you. You are the fiercest bitch. I know I always grew up with so much fear and you have no fear. And, you know, there are days that she does praise me and she does, you know, tell me I'm, I'm worth something. But then there are the days where she's like fucking 19, like 52. I'm like, what's wrong with you? The Korean war is over. Like there's nothing to be scared of. I can be as open and independent as I want. Some days I wish I could just be a man for a day and see what it feels like because my family told me constantly growing up, you should have been born a boy because I was just too ballsy and always taking risks and I still do. And, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's different now because I have Noah to think about. So I can't just be like, okay, I'm going to zip off to Timbuktu and never come back. But, you know, I'm still very much a risk taker and I still like, I'm very true to myself despite the fact that I'm also a mom. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like, like your mom is able to appreciate who you are some days and then, you know, other days her, her like instincts, I guess the, the uh the the programming yeah. that she's had throughout her whole life sort of kick in um but plus she's kind of bipolar so <laughs> <laughs> hello <laughs> um yeah i can uh i can i can relate to that let me take a quick break here to talk about HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, 
and enjoy. With HelloFresh, all the ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe and it's delivered right to your door in recyclable insulated packaging. They offer a wide variety of chef curated recipes that change weekly so you can enjoy not having to plan dinner or spend money on takeout for an easy night or worry about gathering ingredients week after week. It's all sent right to you so you can try things you would have never thought to cook on your own and you can enjoy eating outside of your comfort zone. And to make it even better, you won't spend all night in the kitchen because most of their recipes only take around 30 minutes. I've had some HelloFresh myself. I've mentioned before, I one of my favorites here, the, the chicken and pineapple quesadilla. I'd never had pineapple in a quesadilla before, so uh, I, I got to try that. I enjoyed it. I like pineapple. It's a nice addition to the quesadilla. Uh, and and w- one of the cool things about the HelloFresh is that not only does it make it easier and they send it right to you and all of that, but uh, it like they help you plan it out right so like you get this balanced meal where they send you this full meal that you don't need to be like oh i I don't i didn't have that or uh you know this didn't complement this part of the meal uh it's all it's all it's all nice and and packaged and, and wonderful So you've really got to make sure you try this out, especially because if you go to HelloFresh.com and you enter the promo code Terran30, you're going to get $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. You can try it for a whole week uh, and and get $30 off of that week with the promo code Terran30. So do it. See if you like it. Seriously, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. Try it out. Get the money. Get the savings. And uh, and tell me how you like it. Let me know. All right. Let's uh, let's get back to June. So you mentioned that you left you left home. Was there like a, a period of time where you eventually sort of broke out of of your parents' wing? You know, they kept you kind of locked away from the world for so long. Um, how, what was that process like? Yeah. The funny thing is like, you know, all through grade school, all through junior high school, even through high school, I was a really, really, really good kid. Like never talked back, did all my homework, all my extracurricular activities. You know, I was senior class president in high school. Um, I taught Sunday school for years. Um, I was pretty much the perfect kid. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to start applying for colleges. I'm so excited. My dad whispered to me one day, go away for school get away from your mom because my dad was actually he always raised me to be who I am he raised me to be independent and to take risks and to stand up for myself but because my mom was so fragile he could never say that in front of her to me so he would he and I would always have these like secret talks and he'd be like I'm so proud of you you're gonna rule the world you do whatever you want you know your mom is very sensitive so you don't have to like break her heart you know doing it but I never want you to not do something you want and I was like okay daddy I love you you know and so when it was time to apply to colleges he was like I think you should get away I think you should go away and live the campus life somewhere and um, don't stay too close to home because your mom is not going to be able to like let you go and 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 trust you and give you freedom and I was like oh but I really want to go to NYU and he was like 
why? And I was like, I don't know. It's like super cool. It's like right in the middle of the city, Washington Square Park. For some reason, I just became obsessed with NYU. And so I was like, no, I'm going to apply. And I made it in and I thought, okay. And um, at the time I was like super smart. I don't feel like I'm as smart now, but you know, at the time I was super smart. I got a bunch of scholarships so that all my parents had to pay was like eight grand a year. Um, and I was like, okay, NYU it is. And I was like, okay, can I dorm? And they were like, you live three subway stops away from Washington Square Park. And I was like, so I have to live at home? And they were like, yeah. I was like, oh, so it's gonna be like high school except I'm, you know, taking six courses a semester. And so my mother treated me like I was still in high school. I had a curfew of 7 p.m. I was given an allowance. I was not allowed to have a boyfriend. Um, And so I started rebelling. And I was like, I can't live like this. I'm a college woman, you know? Um, And my dad was just kind of like, I told you so. I told you to move away. And I had not listened to him, and I should have. And so my mom and I um, eventually started butting heads for real, and she couldn't handle it. I would come home with, like, let's say lipstick on as an 18-year-old woman, and she would come and, like, freak out and be like, why are you wearing lipstick? You are going to attract the wrong attention. So this was like her scared that seven-year-old June was going to get raped again, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it was a disaster. And then I met G and I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to have a boyfriend and I'm going to have a boyfriend that my parents would not approve of because G was younger than me, right? And so it was like my way of saying, (laughs) I'm going to piss you off, you fucking (laughs) overbearing Korean mother, you. And so I started dating G. Um, My mother found out and freaked out. She and I had a huge fight. She then ransacked my room and found my birth control pills. Um, You know, most moms would be like, oh, at least you're being responsible. But no, no, no. The the typical Korean mom is like, oh, my God, the, the end of the world is here. And my daughter is having premarital sex. And that's it. Like, it's as if they think it's going to get broadcast onto the sky, like a fucking Batman fucking insignia. And she freaked out. She crushed my birth control pills down the toilet. And I was just kind of like, that's really smart of you because now I have no birth control to have like unprotected sex with. And she freaked out, started like pulling my hair. I pushed her. She fell. She was like, oh my God, now you're beating your mother. And I was like, fuck this shit. So I packed a bag of, and I actually packed a horrible bag because I was so like livid and crying that I didn't even know what I was stepping into my fucking duffel bag. And I took my tennis racket for God knows what I don't know. And a bunch of clothes, my teddy bear. And I went out to the living room. My brother was there. He was like 11 at the time. And I was super dramatic. And I was like, I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. I love you very much. 
our mother is a psycho and I want you to don't listen to her. Okay. No matter what she says to you. And I left. And my mom was like, if you leave, you're never welcome here ever again. I was like, fuck you. And I left. And it was like 9 p.m. I'm on the Lower East Side, bawling my eyes out, nowhere to go. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I don't even know if I had a cell phone at the time or if I had a beeper, what the fuck was going on. Like, all I know is I had nowhere to go. And so I, what could I do? I called like a couple of friends of mine that were actually still living at home. And I went and slept there for a couple of nights. And, you know, she was like a good Christian girl. And she was like, um, well, my parents think that we should call your parents and that you should go home. And I was like, no, <laughs> you know, I was like, you traitor, you fucking traitor. <laughs> and then, so then I slept at another friend's house for a couple of days. Um, I mean, it was drama and my mom thought I would come home by then. And so she was like doing the whole like bluffing thing. Like, I don't care if you ever come home. Um, my dad was busy appeasing her so that she wouldn't have a mental breakdown. And he knew I was tough and he knew I would be okay on my own. Um, I eventually borrowed like a thousand dollars from a friend to rent a basement apartment in Queens with it. And I was like, that's it. I'm never turning back. And from that point on, I was living on my own um, at 19 years of age. And that's like huge drama in the Korean community. Like word spread like fucking wildfire in the churches. <gasps> June moved out of her parents' house. She's living in some slum. You know, it was like totally exaggerated. Um, I worked three jobs. And I eventually, like, dropped out of NYU. I had my first abortion. Um, and it was just, like, a crazy year for me. When I turned 20, I had stabilized a little bit. My mom came to my new apartment with a bowling ball. <laughs> And she, like, demanded I open the door. And I didn't let her in. I went out uh, into the driveway. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? And she was like, <laughs> you, you're being a whore. You are living in sin. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? She, like, barged into my apartment, threw the bowling ball into my television, and left. And I called my dad and was like, you need to control that fucking crazy wife of yours and you owe me a television. Um, so he bought me a television, a new one. You know, she didn't talk to me for another year. And so my dad and I would just have to like talk, you know, here and there. He would sneak phone calls in to me and be like, how you doing? Are you loving it? I'm like, I love it. I'm making my own money. <laughs> you know, I'm like living in my own apartment. He's like, I'm so proud of you, but please don't tell your mom. And I was like, don't worry, dad, don't worry. Um, and eventually I just started climbing the corporate ladder, um, getting my first gigs in, I guess, finance. You know, the first job was at a brokerage firm, like penny stocks, like back then where on the stock floor, it was, you know, 
it was okay to like still smack girls in the ass it was like totally like you know mad men style shit you know um and then i got my big break at city bank and then it became city group and i just and you know people were amazed they were like you don't have your undergraduate degree what do you how are you a manager how are you managing people and i'm like hey i'm smart <laughs> i'm a schmoozer you know i have capabilities it's just a piece of fucking paper you know but eventually i went back to school and i did graduate um magna cum laude um so i guess i still had some brains left in me <laughs> you know i did the whole big brother thing i returned to finance i even had a sex business for a while I mean, I've always been someone who just follows her gut. Mm -hmm. And as long as I'm not, you know, literally hurting someone else, I just do what I want. And I'm still the same way. Um, but when I got married, I thought, okay, now it's not just about me, you know, it's me and someone else. And we brought this child into the world. And so you know, I thought it was going to be forever and turns out it wasn't. So I'm just kind of back to being me and doing what I want. Yeah. It must be weird, you know, thinking you've lived your life all this way. Uh, you live your life one way all this time. And then you're like, okay, now it's going to change. And now it's like, no, no, that, that was not, that was not forever. And now you're back to like, basically, I mean, I always said that I was the lost link to sex in the city. Like if they had a fifth bitch on the show, it would have been me because I've basically done everything, seen everything, you know, New York city, like inside out. And that's why I was okay leaving to come to some little bumblefuck town like this in, you know, Belgium. Um, and I love it here. I just love the pace of life. I love being myself in just a slower, you know, environment where the priorities are family and children. And, you know, I had opened a Korean takeaway restaurant in 2014, which I just closed last year in 2017. So I did it for three years. It was fun it was an adventure i was good at it um you know i love feeding people i realized i don't i i just love feeding people just like i did on big brother i yeah. just fed people okay part of it was strategy but i just love to feed people but i didn't like getting paid for it like once it became a job i was like this is not what i want like i just want to feed people <laughs> if i could just like I, I just didn't really like love having a restaurant. It wasn't all that it was chalked up to be. And, you know, having weekends and nights that I had to work and, you know, leaving Noah with a babysitter, especially during this transition of separation, it was breaking my heart. And I felt like he really needed me and he needed a stable home situation because he wasn't getting it with his dad and so i just again went you know balls out and said i'm closing right house and um and i just did it i was like i announced it i was like i'm closing in three weeks <laughs> <laughs> i shut everything down um and i've just been freelance writing since then which is not easy 
Yeah. What kind of writing I, are you doing? Yeah. So I'm basically just pimping myself out for anything and everything. Like I have written love letters for people wow. um, that couldn't write and uh, wanted to gift a love letter as a wedding gift to someone. I have um, written Dear John letters. I've done web content. I've done landing pages. I've written, you know, mini autobiographies for people. I've blogged about hardwood flooring and if you should choose light hardwood or dark hardwood. Um, I've written about how to landscape your small backyard for your favorite pet i mean you name it and i've done it freelance writing is really scary though because there are writers out there who are willing to steal jobs and undercut you mm. and be like i'll take 0.05 cents per word and so who the fuck's gonna pay me 10 cents a word you know mm. So obviously it's like quality over quantity, quantity over quality, this, that, and the other. But um, yeah, I'm not going to say that it's been this fantastic, you know, like financially stable life these last six months. It's been really hard. Um, but, you know, the time that I'm getting with Noah and being here for him and, being able to do things with him is really invaluable. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I also monetized a part of my website um, so that I could sell parts of my fictional literary work, kind of like little eBooks. And, but I'm still blogging, you know, for free. Um, so I'm just doing what I need to do to make ends meet um, as a single mom in a still foreign country in which I'm a fucking citizen, but I still get treated like I just got here. Like people just assume by the color of my skin that I can't speak Dutch, you know, and they're just like, hello, what is your name? I'm like, uh, my name is June. <laughs> like, I live here seven years. I can speak the language. Like, fuck off. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting day to day. Does that actually cause problems or is it just kind of an annoyance? It's common annoyance, but Belgium is like this country that's. I don't even know. It's like almost like they've been stuck in a time capsule mm. for the last 30 years. Um, I mean, it's not the only country that's very homogeneously white. Like they, they did open their borders to immigrants a few times, but only recently actually. And so their idea of foreigners are mostly refugees let's say. Mm. And so a lot of people here in the smaller towns like we live in um, just assume that any person of color is living on welfare and, you know, from some war-torn country and maybe shouldn't be trusted. Um, so it's really, really frustrating. And even the more educated people still tend to be so ignorant and not really watch what they say. Um, and recently I had a really bad run-in with one of the schools here, a local primary school in which 
they thought it was a great idea to celebrate Chinese New Year, which is great. I'm just like, wow, this country has come really far that they even acknowledge that there exists other New Years in the in the world. Um, but they painted the children's faces yellow and used black eyeliner to give them, you know, Chinese eyes. And I saw photos on Instagram of these kids dressed up in Chinese costumes, which is fine, but their faces were painted yellow with chinky eyes and their moms were posting captions um, like, you know, like, oh, so lovely, pretty Chinese girls and spelling it, you know, phonetically, like they couldn't speak English and they were making fun of Chinese people. Mm -hmm. And okay, I'm not Chinese, but I'm Asian, you know, and, and everyone here just assumes I'm Chinese half the time anyway, but like, I was really offended and a lot of times people tend to just say just swallow it move on you know no one you know got punched or anything they're just words and i was like you know what no i have a responsibility um as a representative of asia you know in this country and also the mother of a child of color and so i wrote to that mom and was like, what the fuck is going on? Yo, this isn't right. And she blamed the school. And I said, you can't blame the school because you wrote that caption on your Instagram. Um, and she blocked me, Ooh. you know, right away. Um, and, you know, so I wrote to the school uh, in Dutch and I said, you know, as a parent of a child of color and as an Asian woman, um, but also a Belgian citizen, you know, I just want to educate you that you can celebrate other cultures without it having to be about their skin color and the, the slantiness of their eyes. And I was really surprised because I got a reply from them indicating that I was wrong and I was being sensitive and that they were offended, that I was offended. <laughs> so then I was like, fuck this shit. So I wrote to my um, local governmental agency you know my mayor's office and they actually wrote back to me saying okay we agree with you but we can't do anything about it and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about like you know take a stand um and I actually did lose a couple friends because of it wow. but I figured they're not friends anyway they just didn't understand why 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 do you have to why do you have to why why and I'm like because asshole it's 2018 and i'm a human being you know i'm not just a, a skin color um but on the flip side i've also you know realized who will support me in such efforts and i have hope that you know there are people here that agree with me and that you know future generations like noah will stop that kind of shit but you know now i have this reputation also of having a voice and not letting shit go and being like vocal and, and obnoxious if I have to. And I actually ran into that mom on the street the other day. I was with Noah and she was like, Oh, hi. And I was like, hi, how are you? And Noah could tell by the tone of my voice that it was just like dripping with like bullshit. So we walked away and he was like, mama, who was that? And I was like, that is the lady whose daughter's face was painted yellow and she made fun of Chinese people. He was like, oh, so you don't like her? And I said, no. And, I, and he was like, well, she doesn't like you either then. And I was like, no. And he was like, 
but then that's big brother i swear to god on the middle of the street i wanted to just like pick him up and like whip him around i'm like you are the fucking smartest kid and i told him i said that is exactly big brother because we have to live in this town noah and they're not going anywhere and we're not going anywhere but that doesn't mean that you can't tell someone no that is wrong but you still have to smile at them when you see them on the street. He was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Has he been impacted at all uh, about like any of this in living in Belgium? They, there are people who see him in public, whether he's with his dad or with his grandparents, um, because they're white, you know? Mm. And he's clearly mixed and he has heard people asking, is he Chinese? Is he mixed? Um, so he is aware, but he's still very, you know, innocent, you know, um, but blackface is also pretty prevalent mm -hmm. over here, especially during the holidays because of like stories that were passed down generation to generation. And I understand we can't, you know, erase the fact that slavery was a thing, but we can at least hire black people to play the slaves as opposed to fucking hiring white people and putting black paint on their faces and shit. Like what, what is going on? Right. And so I have been very open with Noah explaining to him why it's wrong. And when the whole yellow face thing happened with the school, I explained to him that, you know, it's wrong. And he understands. He's like, first of all, Nobody has yellow skin. And second of all, like white people shouldn't do that because it's like making fun of black people. And I said, exactly. And so he's very much aware of it. He even tells his friends sometimes um, if it comes up, like, do you know that this and this and this? And I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Um, and it's even in the smallest things where at school he learned um, the the colors obviously and so when they have to pass each other crayons you know his friends are like oh pass me this the skin color the head's clue in, in in dutch and noah tells them whose skin color your skin color or adam's skin color or you know that kid's skin color and the kids are like oh so now i tell noah you should call it beige or peach you know or ivory instead of you know skin color mm -hmm. and that's how it happens like these little kids talking to each other passing on this information and it's like this wave of wave of change so you know i have to balance being loud and obnoxious and in people's faces and with being like just a good mom and doing what I can at home and hoping that Noah's generation is different. Yeah. Definitely. You know, let's, uh, let's, let's rewind a little, uh, and, and go back to, uh, when you, you said you dropped out of college. Um, can you tell me more about that? I dropped out of college. Um, because, you know, I moved out of my mom's house my parents' house, then I had an abortion, and it was, I was not in a good mental state, and so I actually basically failed a whole semester um, at NYU, and I was like, oh shit, I'm in trouble, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I got put on probation, 
and I went to the guidance counselor's office or whatever, and they were like, what's going on? And I was like, well, <laughs> I had a huge fight with my mom, and I moved out, and I'm living in a basement apartment, and then I had an abortion, and I'm just, like, really, like, you know, going through a lot. And they were like, yeah, you are. So they were like, okay, well, you know what? We're going to work with you. You got to come in, take get counseling, and blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, you know what? I'd rather work and make money. And so again, I put my self care on the back burner mm-hmm. and um, I just started working. And so I just dropped NYU. However, I still had the NYU ID, which was still good for the rest of the semester. And so I still went into like the job center and like looking for good jobs. And that's actually how I landed um, my first couple of jobs. So I have to ask, I have to thank NYU (laughs) for for not like cutting my ID off and still, you know, giving me access to the school to get the couple of jobs I needed to really just, you know, break in to finance. Um, And I learned that I didn't need my degree to really move through the ranks and climb the corporate ladder and get my job done. Like it really, I'm not saying that you don't need a degree because I obviously went back to get it. Um, partly because I want to be able to tell Noah, like go to school. Yeah. You, if I have to get my degree, you have to get your degree. And I, I don't, I want him to have like, you know, a good future and having that piece of paper helps, but I didn't finish my degree. I graduated with my bachelor's degree in 2010. Um, So it was like right before I moved to Belgium, I finished up my degree in like three semesters and just like graduated with like a four point, I don't even remember eight, six or something, um, taking literally like seven courses, (laughs) those three semesters, just, I was like, okay, if I'm going to move to Belgium, I got to finish this. And I just like finished it. Um, but it was because I had been laid off in the big economic crisis of Mm -hmm. 2008, 2009. Um, I had this, all this extra time. And so I traveled and that's how I met my husband. And then I was like, okay, I need to just, finish get my you know dot all my i's and cross all my t's and get my degree so i can move to belgium um and so i did it and it was had nothing to do with finance i finished with an english literature degree and with a concentration in creative writing and that's really when my love of writing happened i used to hate to write as a child i hated it Um, I love to read, but writing was not my thing. Um, I didn't start loving writing until, yeah, 2010-ish. So the whole writing thing is kind of like new to me. You know, I I moved here and started my blog. I look back at those blogs and I'm like, what shit writing? (laughs) I can't believe I published this stuff, you know? Um, I think my writing's gotten much better now. Um, My dream would be to be able to just write for a living and support myself doing it. 
there is a memoir that I've been working on for the last six years, especially when Noah was a baby and I was a stay-at-home mom. I was just writing every day. Um, I, I want to get that finished. I want to, I want to publish it. Um, so that's like my goal. That's my big goal. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly I'll a lot to, uh, to write about. You think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah if, if this podcast has anything uh to say about it um this is one of the more enjoyable podcasts i've ever done so thank you well, uh, thank you same thing to you uh i've really enjoyed this oh good so uh you said that um you you got an abortion is that something that you that you talk about um you know i'm an open book like i'm I have been open about it. I have mentioned it. I've talked about it. Um, and that's also something else that's still so taboo and mm. makes, makes people uncomfortable. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like, why do we even have to talk about this stuff? Why can't we just go back to the way things were way back when and keep things private, private life is private. And, you know, to those people, I say, if you want to keep your private life private, by all means, go ahead. But some of us want to talk about it and need to talk about it. And some of these things need to be talked about. So some people don't feel so alone, um, in their own events in their life. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty open about it. It was actually G's baby. So he obviously knew about it. Um, we've never really talked about it. Um, and obviously it affected me more than it affected him. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was it like a, a difficult decision or like, was, was it something no. that, no, no, I knew that there was no way I was having a baby. I was like, no way. There was no way I would be able to have a baby. It was just not a responsible um, choice that I would be making to do that to the child or to myself or to G. Um, and so back then it was, it wasn't hard to find a place to get it done, especially in Manhattan. Um, it was like pr a private clinic. It was just expensive, you know, mm -hmm. um, especially as like a college kid. Um, and so I was like, how the fuck am I going to get this money? Right. She doesn't have it. Um, I didn't really have it and I will never forget the kindness. I was working at the gap at the time and, um, I was just like really struggling and there was this like older manager, um, super cool guy. And he was just like June, June bug. He always called me June bug. He was like, June bug, what's up? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm always like nothing. He's like, no, something's up. And I was like, I can't tell you. And he was like, yes, you can try me. And I was like, I can't, I really can't. And I started crying and he was like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, nothing. I'm so ashamed. It doesn't matter. You can't help me. He's like, what do you need? And I was like, 
money, but it doesn't matter. I don't care. He's like, what do you need it for? And I was like, I have to get an abortion. And he was like, come with me. He took me to the ATM. He withdrew like $450 and he handed it to me and was like, I don't have to see this back. Do what you have to do. And I'll never, I'll never forget that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as there have been hard times in my life, there's also been a lot of just unconditional kindness. And those are the, those are the people I remember now, you know, as a, a grown woman heading towards menopause. Oh God, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, uh, maybe someday you'll be, you'll be the person handing out money from the ATM. That's the thing though. I, I've always been very much a giver. I've always had this like really tough exterior, right? And I'm a cancer. So I have, I'm a crab. I have this really hard shell, but people who know me best, I'm a fucking softy. I, I really am um, very giving and very generous and very unconditional and very forgiving. Um, and so I do, I try, I, I'm very, I tend to believe my, you know, emotional intelligence, my EQ is very high. And so I always can sense if someone needs help. And so I'm very much about like helping people who need it as much as I am a cutthroat, you know, cunt bitch when I need to be. You know, I have these two flip sides to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, uh, I, I feel like there there are certainly some people who know you from Big Brother that are going to listen to this podcast and hear you just like very soft spoken. It sounds so nurturing. And they're like, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Who is this? Who is this? Is this the right June? Yeah, yeah. I definitely have these sides to me i think becoming a mom was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me yeah for sure it seems it seems it seems like it. it seems like it's clearly something like very not only very important to you but that has impacted you a lot and you you seem like a very good mother thank you i love it more than anything my tinder profile um it actually had two sentences it said uh, Korean period, American period, Belgian period. And the next line said, favorite thing in the world being a mom. And that's my Tinder profile. Like most people are on there being like, Hey, and I'm just like, <laughs> this is it. This is me. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta know, uh, you know, gotta, gotta know what you're in for. Seriously. However, I have, deleted tinder it's yeah. been off my phone for like three weeks and it feels really good god damn it's like wasteland <laughs> I've, I've heard that's a thing that people like they delete it and then they go back because it's fun it's so like alluring and it's so like instant gratification you know like yeah. oh my god someone likes me Ooh, someone else likes <laughs> me but you know i'm actually i am dating someone that i met through tinder so i really shouldn't shit on tinder mm. um but it's definitely rare i guess like it is a rare he's a rare 
gem. So Tinder can work, I guess, especially for people out here living in the boondocks where one town is like, you know, made up of 2000 people and everyone's married with kids and you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? So yeah, you go on Tinder and you find someone in another boondocks <laughs> town. Um, and that's exactly what happened with me and this guy. And so he lives in one boondocks town and I live here and we found each other on Tinder. We're both, you know, parents who are juggling custody schedules and, um, He's one of the most intelligent people I've ever shared a bed with. <laughs> so it's working out okay. There you go. You mentioned, I, I don't know if I misheard you. You said something about uh, uh, a business uh, after you were in finance. Are we talking about a sex business? Yes, yes. That's <laughs> really, oh, really, that didn't wanna, really, really didn't want to say sex business if I was wrong and I heard it wrong. <laughs> Oh, no, that was after Big Brother, Okay, actually. So I won Big Brother in 2003. Oh, well, maybe we should talk about Big Brother first. Okay, so I won. Yeah, yes. <laughs> were you a fan? Like, what made you go on the show? I was, well, I mean, there were only three seasons, you know, mm -hmm. by the time I applied. So there was no super fan status then, you know. Um, I had not watched season one. Um, I had only heard about season two, mostly, um, I think, I guess Boogie proposing Oh yeah, and the whole like pulling a knife thing, mm -hmm. um, and then Will winning and then Shannon with a toothbrush. <sighs> Those were like the four things that stood out to me was I had not watched the season. Mm. And then season three, I had also not watched that season. I had watched an episode here and there. Um, and so what stood out to me was the fact that there were two um, big showmances and, you know, the Kiara and Lisa showmances mm -hmm. and then um, Marcellus not using the POV on himself. I remember hating Amy. <laughs> for some reason i just didn't find her appealing like i didn't know what the appeal was now i love her you know um and then i remember danielle reyes mm -hmm. and and jason and that alliance and i i was like danielle reyes is my hero for being so no apologies cutthroat and devious and using the diary room to just talk shit about everyone. I was like, that's amazing, you know? So basically what happened was I never intended to apply or anything. Um, but my relationship of four years had just ended and I was, um, we were living together. And so I was just kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to move out. I'm going to be alone for the summer. Uh, I don't want to be in Manhattan and be reminded of you, my ex at the time, because we were still very much in love with each other when we broke up because we had to break up for fucked up reasons. So we still loved each other, but we decided to break up. And you know how it is when you break up with an ex and you can't pass by that restaurant because you go, oh, you guys <laughs> ate dinner there. And, you know. and so, you know, Manhattan, like everything there is like, 
reminding me of him. So I was like, I'm going to apply for this show. And he, he was like, I think you'd be great. And I'd be like, fine, <laughs> I'm going to do it. You know? <laughs> and so I applied the old fashioned way to Polaroids. I filled out the questionnaire that was like literally like 85 questions. It took me forever. Um, but I answered every question, honestly, like I am doing now, like right now, like I was just kind of like, writing like I speak um, and I did a three minute video and at the time there were no like real Asian people on the show only that first season they had that you know Chinese dude but they had never had an Asian woman so I basically said in my video like what are you doing everyone loves Asian there's Asian fever guys are totally into hot Asian girls like I have everything you need my, and I grabbed my tits and I was like, my tits are real. My nails are real. My hair is real. Everything about me is real. You'd be stupid not to put me in that house. Every man who's into Asian <laughs> women will be so grateful. And I was like, okay. And I sent it all in. Um, and I sent it like federal express on a Thursday and on Friday night, I got a call and I was like, what, what, you know, I usually don't pick up numbers I don't recognize, right? But it was like an 818 area code. And I was like, wait, that's like, that's LA, I think. I was like, no. And I picked up the phone. I was like, hello. And they were like, hi, is this June? I was like, yes, is this? And they were like, so-and-so from, you know, casting robin casting cbs big brother and i was like are you serious <laughs> and that was such an ego boost because i was like that's right bitch <laughs> you opened my shit and watched it and you were like we need you and i never ever doubted that i was going to be cast for some reason and it's not because i had this huge ego it was just i truly believed that they needed me and so when people ask me every year, what do I have to do? Do you have any advice? I'm like, they have to need you more than you need them. Mm. Everyone is begging for a spot on the show. They don't want to hear that shit. They get enough of that. You need to convince them that they need you. And if you can't do it, then you probably don't deserve to be on the show. I mean, I know that there are many different ways of getting on the show. And then you have people like Dan Giesling who like tried year after year and was like obsessed and like such a loser about it. <laughs> and, you know, he finally made it on like good for him. But, you know, I can't say there's any one way to get on the show. I can only tell you how I did it. And it's not just getting on the show. It's just how I live my life. It's how I get shit done. It's how I reach my goals. It's like, you just have to do you and you have to believe in you and you have to have the confidence to like sell yourself and everything. And so that's how I got on the show. So when they, you know, told me, okay, we need you to come to audition. We're going to be in Times Square at this hotel in this hotel room at this time, come meet with us. I was like, okay. Um, you know, I didn't tell anyone. You can't tell people. 
and you can't put on your fucking Twitter timeline or your Facebook, oh my God, I auditioned today and I can't wait to hear back. <laughs> and then the next day be like, I haven't heard back yet, but I'm hoping to hear back. And then the next day being like, I still have hope, but it's okay if I don't get it. I still love myself. See? Ha ha ha. <laughs> and, you know, because they're going to look at your shit and be like, we can't trust this person mm -hmm. because if they make it on, it's going to be so obvious. They can't, they're not going to be able to hide it. If they don't make it on, they're going to be talking shit about us and like hating us. Like you have to keep it cool. You have to be cool, you know? And, you know, I don't care how passionate you are and, and how much you think you need to be on the show. If you reek of desperation, they're not going to want you just like, in dating mm -hmm. or when you're going for a job nobody wants someone who's desperate you know like they want someone who is confident and will live their life even if they don't get it and continue and move on and so that's like kind of the outlook you need to have so when people ask me year after year like what my advice is there really is no better advice than be yourself because if you cannot get in by being yourself then that's like a wake-up call <laughs> yeah um you know? how did uh how did it like because you, you go on the show you end up winning what like what impact did that have on your life if any um i think it would have had a bigger impact had i not come out to my dad being in a coma in the hospital because around the, okay, so the last 10 days I was in the house, around the eighth to last day, he fell into a coma. And so when I won, I was brought into a conference room and, you know, given my check for $500,000, which I signed. And then they were like, okay, we have your family on the phone. And so I picked up the phone and I was like, oh my God motherfuckers i won and my brother was like i know we're so proud of you and i was like why are you on the phone we're mom and dad and he was like okay calm down <laughs> make sure you're sitting but dad's in a coma and i was like get the fuck out of here stop and there he was like no he's in a coma and i was like what the fuck why didn't anyone tell me he's like i just found out today myself and i was like what the fuck? And he was like, yeah. And this is the Korean mentality that even though my brother was an adult and I was an adult, the children don't need to be bothered with this information. The adults will deal with it kind of thing. And so my brother and I were the last to know. Um, apparently my brother was, obviously they told my brother and then they were like, okay, um, what do you think we should do? Should we tell, should we call Sean Laws, you know, the executive producer, co-executive producer, should we tell her and let her know and tell her to tell your sister or should we just, and my family collectively voted and decided to not tell me because they thought I was going to win and they thought, if they called me back home and he survived, then I would have wasted all my efforts and, lo and lost, 
you know, forfeited to Allison. But my point to them was, had my dad died in a coma and I was in the fucking house with Allison <laughs> Irwin, I would have fucking killed somebody mm-hmm. that I missed my own dad's passing, you know? And so they really got lucky <laughs> that my dad came out of the coma. He literally came out of the coma when I touched down back in New York. I was originally supposed to stay and do the whole like circuit of interviews, but I told them I'm going home. Mm-hmm. I need to see my dad. So they flew me back to New York. Um, and when I touched down, like my dad opened his eyes. It was like some fucking miracle, right? And so I went to see him in the hospital. I was bawling, crying. The whole floor of the ICU knew who I was, obviously. And I didn't know these people. I was just like in this fucking cocoon for three months coming out to news that my dad was sick. And all these nurses were like, oh, my God, hi. And I'm like, who the fuck are you and where's my dad and why am I so fat like I was so uncomfortable in my clothes everything was so tight I was like tanned brown like Pocahontas I was like literally not even ready to face people and I had to come face to face with my dad in ICU and the first thing he said to me was like I knew you were gonna win And I was like bawling, crying, you know, he was always my biggest cheerleader, my, my rock, my anti-Korean Korean, Korean, you know, and the thought that I was going to lose him was absolutely terrifying. So at the time I had given Citigroup um, a four month leave of absence. I knew that I was going to win going in. I just always knew I just had this confidence from the day that they called me for my audition tape I was like I'm gonna go in I'm gonna make finals I'm gonna get cast I'm gonna win the game and I'm gonna take a month off before I go back to work so I took a four-month leave of absence a personal leave of absence from Citigroup and when I found out my dad was sick and he needed a kidney transplant and he was gonna have to go through dialysis I told Citibank, I'm not going to return to work. I'm going to spend as much time with my dad as possible. And I spent a year with him, and then he passed away. And I would not change a thing. I'm so glad I was able to spend his last year um, with him. And granted, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the money. Mm that I won you know it afforded me a year of not working and with the rest of it I bought a condo in Manhattan um yeah and then he passed away and when he passed away I was like okay I now need to support my mom I need to support my brother who was still in college and I was at the time working at Deutsche Bank and um, I had just started there because my dad had made me promise on his deathbed that I would go back to finance um, because I had told him, I think I want to open like a Korean restaurant. (laughs) And he was like, no, buy real estate. 
get yourself an apartment and go back to work on Wall Street. And I said, okay, daddy. And so, you know, I interviewed, it helped that I had one big brother. I think on my resume, if it had said, you know, I have this huge gap in my resume because I lost big brother, it would have been different from saying, I have this huge gap in my resume because I spent a year with my dad after winning big brother, you know? Um, and so I got back into finance pretty easily and I was making good money, but it wasn't enough to support, you know, three people and my extravagant sex in the city lifestyle. And so I decided, okay, I need to take an extra job. Um, so I went on Craigslist. And I thought, okay, I'm going to see what's out there. Nothing was paying very much. And then I saw this section called um, adult services. <laughs> and when I was a freshman in college, I had actually done phone sex for a month to for Christmas money with a girlfriend of mine. And so I thought, oh, maybe this is like phone sex stuff, you know? And so I looked at all the ads and there were a bunch of like ads for like prostitutes and like happy endings. And, and then I saw something for like um, a phone girl for a sex service. So I thought, oh, okay, I can do that. And so I applied for the job and it turned out it was, yeah, answering phones for a happy ending place, basically. But of course, they didn't call it a happy ending place. It was much more classy and it catered to like, you know, vice presidents and CEOs of like the biggest banks and, you know, Disney. I mean, they had some like big clients. And so I was answering phones. I was like 28 years old. The girls that were working there were like 18, 19, 22. And so I was kind of like the mama hen, you know? And the, owner of the place were like why don't you work as one of the girls you could make lots of money and I was like I'm old a and b I'm fucking out of shape you know you gotta get naked to do this stuff ain't nobody want to see me naked um and they were like no you should do it and I was like I don't think so and then I realized that the owners were sleeping with the girls and impregnating some of the girls and making some of the girls work while they were pregnant and all this shit. Like I realized I learned a lot in, in the underground sex business. And that's that most of the places are owned by men who prey on these young girls. And so I was working in banking by day and answering phones for the sex service by night, barely getting any sleep, you know, paying my mom's rent and her, for her car and insurance and everything. And I realized I need to open my own place and I need to protect these girls and be the first female, you know, happy ending owner place owner in Manhattan was everything was owned by men and it was run by men. And so I thought, okay, how am I going to do this? <laughs> and I realized the only way I could do it was by becoming one of the girls so I could learn the business inside out and I could 
know exactly what it is these girls are doing and what they have to go through and more importantly how they could cheat the house of money by you know taking extra extra money for this or that, which they weren't allowed to do. So basically I told the owners, okay, I think I want to be one of the happy ending girls. <laughs> and they were thrilled, you know, they were like, okay, we need some, we a mature <laughs> lady like you. So, um, I did it for six months. I gave massages and turned guys over and jerked them off. I learned the business inside out. I started stealing um, chunks of their database slowly so that I could steal clients. I, um, yeah, handpicked which girls I would take with me. And I started my own business. And it just kind of grew. And I eventually stopped <laughs> obviously um so yeah i've kind of done it all yeah wow that's that's amazing that's like uh your your memoir it's uh it's, it's gonna kill yeah so i'm gonna need a copy of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's like i asked i asked you about it i was like you know uh like this sounds interesting and then yeah. like every every layer it just gets more and more interesting. You're like uh yeah, like I'm stealing client faces. Oh man. I'm a blooming onion. <laughs> oh my goodness. Noah, you guys, what are you doing up? What are you doing up? The kids are up. Oh no. Come, you wanna say hi? Say hi. Say, Hello. Hi. Say hi. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing an interview with Mr. Smith Iman Khatan. So, um, yeah, is this a good time to kind of wrap up? Sure, yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then I can put these little kids to bed. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, thank you um, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. You're welcome. This is really fun. I was so much more relaxed. I don't know. I don't know. With Rob, I'm always, like, so hyped up, so I'm going to blame him. <laughs> Okay. You're really good at this. Thank you. Your voice is so soothing. Have you thought of phone chat? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, you know, anytime you want to come back, uh, you know, I'm sure there's plenty more to Thank talk you. about. So. I've heard lots of praise um, for you. So now I understand why people enjoy talking to you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. Well, um, th thank you all, all of you listeners who uh, are going to be listening to this. Um, uh, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, all of that good stuff. Um, June, where can people find all of your social media stuff? Um, it's a, you can start with my website, junedishes.com. J-U-N-D-I-S-H-E-S is where I dish everything. And then you can just go from there. All right. Sounds good. Uh, make Thank sure you, you check all that out. Make sure you're following June's writing. Uh, make sure you, uh, you know when she releases the memoir. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. I'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Parents asking questions. Looking deeper That's what it's all about
It's the Tea Room Show.